Welcome, everybody, to another wonderful episode of Float Your Boat. Float, I am float, float, float I'm with Brett Pattinson. You can hear him the in the background. Yes, Brett, that's enough. I'm George Sabados. Welcome back, everybody. So, pretty boy, who's on today? Today, George, we have Dr. Catherine Croc, AM. She started, a, I, well, she's the chairperson of the Hush Foundation. Which does? Which um, produces music for families, children, staff, etc. in the hospitals. And I take it she uses that in the therapy for the kids. Well, she must have been very good at what um, what she was doing over the years because she does have an Order of Australia. And I, I just learnt in looking up the Order of Australia that there are five levels and she has the AM. Most people wouldn't know that, I don't think, but we'll get her to explain that. Does the OAM mean Order of Australia, mate? <laughs> God, that's. I was just wondering. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Do we get? Are we going to get an OBE? What's that mean? I don't in know. Your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. We're a long way Order off. Order of Brett's excellence. <laughs> no, we're a long <laughs> way away from getting an OBE. But um, let's get her on. Uh, okay. Oh, by the way, it's going to be a radio interview. So, listeners, um, uh, just be prepared. Not a radio interview, George. A telephone interview. Oh, that's correct. That's correct. On the landline. to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to uh, Float Your Boat, Catherine, or Dr. Catherine. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Dr. Catherine, that sounds... Well, I, I, could, call, I could call her Dr. Croc. Yep. Dr. Croc, that sounds very serious. It does, doesn't it? And I yep. don't think, I think you have a, I suspect you have a sense of humour. I do. I'm not that serious a doctor. That's wonderful. I think uh, I was just remarking about the possibility that you're another, you're the Australian version of Patch Adams. Well, I quite like that idea. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. think very creatively about how I do my medicine and how we could all be bringing more creative approaches into what we do. Is that, is that what lights you up, Catherine? Yeah. Um, the straight technical and the medical side of things is really good and academically interesting, but I love bringing the arts and other creative things in to give us a different perspective and to help us do our work better. So, Catherine, can we go back in time, which I don't think is too far back in your case, to when, when you were a child, did you always think you'd end up being a physician? Um, well, my parents are both doctors, and so from the time I was little, it was sort of what was talked about around the dinner table. Um, I loved the way Dad did his work, yep. and I used to go into the hospital with him when I was about 10 or 12, 
and go on the ward rounds on a Saturday morning and watch how he interacted with the patients and he got to know the whole family and the whole person. And it just made me think, that's what I want to be doing. Is he, uh, is he still with us, Catherine? He is still with us, yes. So, uh, and I, I take it he'd be very proud of you then? Um, I think so. I mean, he, he and Mum were just the most amazing role models, really for how to treat everybody you meet with respect and that every person's got an interesting story. So Mum and Dad were always sort of fascinate, fascinated by that story and um, it's really helped me in my career enormously just to think about the person in front of you and being right present with them at the moment and getting to know them and what's important to them. Yeah, well, I think that in this day and age, that's a dying art to some degree. You know, I um, think we've all got pretty caught up in the busyness of everything. Mm, mm. And I'm not sure that's good for anyone, not for the patients and families, but even not good for the people doing the work. So brothers and sisters as well? Yep, I've got um, two brothers and two sisters. And one sister is an HIV specialist, so she's um, done science and then nursing and is a nurse practitioner looking after particularly homeless people with HIV. Wow. And then my next sister is um, a director of an emergency department at the Iron Ear Hospital in Melbourne, so she's an emergency physician. And the boys did different things. They moved away from medicine. Maybe they thought there was a bit too much in the family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but one brother did computer science and the other did law and has been running a hot air ballooning business for most of his career. Oh, wow. Law mm. and hot air ballooning. That's Gee, they go different. hand in hand, don't mm. they? <laughs> they sort of do. I don't know. But he just, you know, loved that. He started off when he was a <laughs> law student um, with a mobile disco business called Crocodile Rock. Fantastic. <laughs> of course he did. And I think he then ended up thinking that events and um, you know things like the hot air ballooning were more interesting than the law, so he's always been out there doing those sort of things. Well, I think uh, I think hot air hot air is uh, goes hand in hand with a lot of lawyers I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's no. a very good talker, is my brother. I imagine imagine uh, the 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 other siblings would also be very good talkers, and the, and and the conversation around the dinner table would be very interesting. It was always very interesting, and what I said about mum and dad and how they treated everybody the same, we would have this mixture of visitors around the dining table. It could be some incredible professor of something from America. It could be the carpenter from the hospital who Dad had become friends with. It never mattered, but whatever it was, the conversations were really lively and interesting. Your dad now strikes me as a um, having been a very good mentor um, in terms of understanding uh, that doctors need needed to share and show some empathy. Um, is that the nature of your work, Catherine? Yes, I think that was a very good grounding to have had that you know, right through our childhood and then you know, having Dad to talk about things with once I was a doctor. And um, 
my life sort of changed in about 1998. I'd come back from um, some maternity leave and started doing procedures on children with leukaemia. Wow. So they need a lot of medical procedures done as part of the treatment and evaluating how the treatment's going. So they have lumbar puncture tests and they have bone marrow tests quite regularly. And back in those days, we were not giving them adequate pain relief for those procedures. And sometimes it was causing quite a lot of distress to the children and the families. And I think being really aware of my young children at the time, I thought if this was happening to one of my children, I'd be really struggling to cope. And so I sat down with a group of families and I said, could you tell me about the journey when your child is having all of this done? And they said, well, we're not complaining, but really this is the hardest part of the whole treatment process is when our children have to come and have these painful things done. And so together we sort of, me and the families and the other staff, worked on how to improve the pain management and then um, really started working on other parts of the hospital system that were problems or difficulties for the families, but the health professionals hadn't even realised it was a problem. And this was really the start of what is called now patient and family-centred care. So tapping into what the families can tell you about the healthcare experience and then working together to get some solutions to improve things. And we did lots of things together. So. First of all, we improved that pain management issue by bringing most of the children through the operating theatre and putting them to sleep with a general anaesthetic. Just a really quick anaesthetic for about 10 minutes and we could do all the painful things that the children needed. And it was just so fantastic. It really decreased the stress for the families. Then the families talked about the environment in a hospital being so challenging and difficult, mm. um, particularly, you know, you're feeling so vulnerable with a sick child. And um, they talked about all the noises and the beeping and the, the trolleys and all the things that make noises that really raise your anxiety. And they asked if there would be some sort of music we could use to improve that environment. So this was really the start of... The Hush Project, which we've now been running for 18 years. And we started bringing composers and musicians in, so creative people to have a look and a listen to that environment and then use their special expertise in sound um, to tell us what would work. And it's just been such fun and, and so inspiring to have these people come into our environment and say, look, we know what's going to make a difference here and how to reduce people's stress and anxiety without making people feel worse. It's really amazing. You know, I, um, I, can't, I can't even imagine what it's like for the parents and with the level of stress and for the children. But my question for you is how do you de-stress? How do you get away from... Because it must be for you sometimes a really tough ask to keep on backing up day after day. I think if you can get into a work environment where you're actually getting joy out of working with the families, regardless of how, you know, how 
difficult their situation is. And if you're working with colleagues who are really supportive, mm. I reckon that gets me through. So we've built this amazing team in our operating theatre at the Royal Children's where we treat each other with kindness and respect. Um, we help each other out in every aspect of the work. Like, it's a, a really true, genuine team, and the families are right in the centre of that. So even the most stressful journey that a family's going through, if you've got that support around them, you know you're making a really big difference. You get a lot out of that. Mm. Has, has the um, medical profession changed its view of patients since you started the kind of work that you that you have I think it's been a slow change but it's definitely um, there's been a big shift so I would think it took us about 10 years when we started talking about um, really sitting with families and learning from each other and partnering um, a bit of a hard journey in those first 10 years because a lot of health professionals, not only doctors but nurses and allied health, were threatened by the idea of the families giving us feedback. And really? they might be asking for unreasonable things and they're going to just make our work life more difficult than it already is. But what we found is it's really refreshing when the families can say, you know, most of the care is fantastic, but if this bit was slightly different, that would help improve our experience and what we found is they've helped us to be more efficient and to save money in the hospitals and certainly to make the care safer. Well Catherine on a, on a very personal level I mean, what 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 motivates you to do this kind of work that you've been doing? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, mm. well, I get a huge amount of satisfaction out of it and of thinking that simple things are really changing other people's lives in such a positive way. It sounds to me like your whole family really has, you know, your parents and into your siblings have created mm. a life of service to the community. There was no surprise that um, you and your, your sisters <laughs> went the way of your parents. <laughs> no, no I don't think there was really. Um, and sometimes mum sort of says, well, you probably didn't, think there were any other options and maybe I didn't <laughs> but it's been fantastic and I didn't really find my passion until 1998 really? um, when I saw things that just seemed to me so difficult for families and that I would not want happening to my family right and I think if you keep coming back to that and going how would this be if we were going through it oh you know not good too stressful, okay, then what could we do about it? And I love bringing lots of different types of expertise and perspective into a conversation. So, I mean, all the families that we meet come from such different backgrounds, and if you take a little bit from each of those, you learn such a lot. So we had um, families where the parents were in business, say, and they came to me and they said, you really could not run a business the way you run this operating theatre. And I went, oh, what do you mean? And they said, well, you bring 12 families in at 7am, and I think a lot of people would resonate with that, that you're told to come to an appointment. There's no intention of you being seen at 7am. 
the hospital system is designed around the system, not necessarily around the patients and families. Mm. So when these families could say to me, that's not good for us, treat us with respect, don't bring us all in at seven if you're not planning to see my child till midday. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. But of course, the hospital thinks we have to have you all there ready just in case we need to see you so that none of the doctors or nurses are made to wait. But in actual fact, you can redesign systems so that it's good for everybody. So after that comment, we redesign the way we do the timing in theatre. So we have four families come in at 8, four come in at 9.30 and four come in at 11. So nobody's waiting long. We've got time to process everybody. And even if someone comes late, you know, there's a a hold-up on the freeway and they don't get there or a child gets sick and gets cancelled, we've still got plenty of work to go on with and we can, you know, just change the the theatre list around a little bit. So small things like that that we were able to learn from this different perspective, it's just been extraordinary. And I think... Going back to what you said before about the changes in healthcare, people have now started to realise this is not a threat. This is actually the way to make healthcare more cost-effective and more satisfying for the patients and the families and the staff. So tell us a bit more about the uh, the Hush Foundation and, and how it works, Catherine. So the Hush Foundation is pretty much voluntary run and we've got some most dedicated people all around the country, um, particularly some of Australia's foremost composers and musicians. So they come into the hospitals, they have a listen to that environment, they work out what the music could be and then we've had um, them compose specially. So we've now done um, 16 albums of music. We've had authors and illustrators come in as well, so children's authors and illustrators who've had the same experience coming into the hospital and meeting families, and they've done a most beautiful treasure book for us, which is um, a book that, say you're sitting in a busy waiting room or a doctor's surgery or something and you're feeling pretty tense, this will take you to another place. It's just so glorious. You, um... we've, also, yeah, we've also worked with... Um, an Australian playwright, Alan Hopgood, who I think most people would know. Mm. And Alan is an icon of theatre. And I went to talk to him about five years ago now about this idea of lots of ethical issues and problems in culture and things in healthcare that I would like to portray through theatre. So he's written three plays with me now that we put on in hospitals. Instead of going to staff and putting on a PowerPoint presentation about patient safety or patient family-centred care. We have four actors who portray these real-life stories of things that happen in healthcare. And after the play, we discuss with the staff, so what does this mean to you? What are some of the issues that we portrayed that we could do better in our hospitals? And we've now done 145 performances of these plays in hospitals. And we just get the most amazing response because the whole theatre and arts coming into a hospital is 
really a pretty new concept and it's a much more engaging way of having some difficult conversations. It's it's definitely a, a, a new concept. I mean, I would imagine most doctors are, are left brain focused and, and uh, the arts is all about the right brain. Uh, that that uh, would be a, a foreign feel for, for most uh, most professionals, would it not? Yes. It's, I think a lot of our health professionals are really interested in, you know, the left and the right side of their brain, mm. but it's not something that we normally make time for in our work life. Right. So it does blow people away to, to see these stories. The first play is about a mother who brings her daughter into hospital and she's been vomiting. So they put up a drip and the junior doctor orders the wrong amount of medication to go in that drip. Now, that junior doctor was queried by the nursing staff who said, you know, are you sure that's right? She was too insecure in her position and she'd been bullied by the senior consultant for so long. She didn't want to go and check with him. Right. prefer to just let it go through to the keeper than get into trouble one more time. And these were stories we were hearing again and again from junior staff who didn't feel safe to speak up, even if they'd made a mistake. And it ends up as a tragedy. So this is a true story that we just de-identified, but it's quite compelling when you watch it played out in front of you. And then to talk about what are we going to do about this culture in healthcare where we don't necessarily treat our colleagues with respect, that people don't feel safe and where things can go wrong in, you know, pretty tragic ways. Do you think um, that's happening across the board, not just in, uh, with children, but in, you know, with general care? Um, Definitely, yes. It's across the board and it's worldwide. So in 2010, I travelled on a Churchill Fellowship and the Churchill Fellowship gives you the opportunity to go um, somewhere in the world where they have expertise in, some, in a subject you're passionate in. And I wanted to talk to patient safety experts around the world. And in fact, in the UK and the US, this was an issue that was really bothering them was how staff treat each other. So the interactions between staff and poor communication um, and bullying between healthcare staff, we now know can injure patients and families. So things will go wrong if you're in a situation where you're feeling bullied. So, so talking about about your life, how many children do you, do you have? I've got five. And and <laughs> was that that wasn't an accident, so, was it? So so of those five, have we got three healthcare people, uh, a hot balloon person, and a, an IT person, or have we got something? Have we got a different mix? We've got a bit of a mix. So in fact, my eldest son did law and is now running my brother's hot air balloon. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh, that is it's a family thing. Um, our next, our daughter is um, a book editor and publisher, and she's very interested in linguistics and language wow. and um, is a really beautiful writer. Yep. Um, number three is a junior doctor studying paediatrics at the moment. That's no surprise. No. So there's only one in healthcare at this stage. Number four, she's um, an engineer. Oh, wow. A mechanical different. engineer. 
and she also has been playing for Melbourne in the first AFL Women's. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so we've got a footballer. And um, then our youngest, he's studying maths and engineering at the moment. He's still at uni. Well, and your husband, is he, is he, um, does he, can he cope with all this brilliance? Oh, look, he's, he's right up there. So he did a PhD in chemistry and then moved into medicine um, slightly later and is now a children's skin specialist. So we both work at the same hospital. Gee, I'm feeling rather insecure right no, now, George. So what about I. you? So <laughs> I wonder if uh, your children, do they call you doctor or do they call you, I mean, no, how do they no, refer? They, Tell they us mostly a... call me mum. <laughs> I don't think, they all get involved. Like, what's really good for me is the whole family is involved in the Hush Foundation. So from the time the kids wow. were little, they'd be helping out, you know, packing CDs into boxes and sending them off and coming to the concerts and handing out the programs. And um, my daughter, Michelle, who's the book editor, uh, she's really involved in an event that we've been running over the last 12 months called The Gathering of Kindness. And she's just edited the book that we've written out of that gathering. So well, tell us, a, you, tell us a little I, bit about that gathering. What, what well, is that this is, about? This has been so fantastic. Back in 2015, I was talking to a friend of mine, Mary Freer from Adelaide, and we were worrying a lot about this bullying and the poor culture in healthcare. And we started thinking we need to have a big brainstorming of some you know, people from all around to talk about some solutions. But in actual fact... It's a pretty negative conversation if you talk about bullying. Mm. What about if you talked about a kind health system? Mm. That's where we'd all like to get to. So a place where you feel proud to work because colleagues are kind to each other. The patients and families feel the kindness. So we thought we're going to have a gathering of kindness. So um, we've just, in fact, wrapped up a week of events across the whole country. And we had hospitals all around the place running their own events and talking about ethical issues like professional boundaries. How close are you able to get to patients and families? Where do you cross a boundary? Or have we put these boundaries in place that are sort of unrealistic and stopping people being kind to each other? We discussed, are we too busy to be kind? Like, we just threw out some really great questions and had 4,000 people across the country engaged in talking about kindness. And I felt like this is one of those shifts in society. People are desperate to get back to the basics and things like kindness can make a huge difference. Given the, uh, the pace that we all travel at these days, Catherine, do you think that plays a big part in, in the way people behave in the workplace? I think it does. We're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves all the time Mm. and we're feeling pressure from the people above us and often we just don't have that time to sort of smell the roses or to connect with the other people we're working with. You know, you rush past each other in the corridor and you're trying to get a million things done. It's really very refreshing if you think, okay. I'm going to take a little more time, connect with that colleague, just check in that they're going okay. 
Yeah, I think... A small act of kindness, and it's a contagious thing. You just watch it sort of spreading amongst the workplace when you take that responsibility yourself and go, okay, I can do something a little more kind in my next interaction. Well, I guess um, being present is the is the key here, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, we've gone all electronic with our medical records. It's so easy to be focused on that computer mm. and on filling in and ticking all those boxes, etc., and then not having, like, eye contact and being present with that person that you're supposedly communicating with. I imagine... I imagine that'll be more of a challenge as the millennials come through because, um, you know, they grew up on devices and I see, I see that as a challenge in, um, in any workplace in general where people are more prone to send messages to each other rather than speak to each other mm. over the phone. Exactly. And so often those messages can cause sort of an escalation of negativity. Because they're misinterpreted. You misinterpret it. You read something into that email and you go... Mm hell, how come they did that? Okay, I'm going to do this. Instead of we could easily sort that out with a, you know, face-to-face. So is that being enshrined in the workplace in in some kind of um, uh, training uh, process or it's just food for thought through your Hush Foundation plays and and, um, performances? Look, I think a lot of places are now starting to think about it one way or another. Um, but certainly we're doing a huge amount of awareness raising and doing it in a creative way. I think it's a bit less threatening than giving someone an e-learning package on, you know, bullying and harassment and correct behaviour in the workplace. Oh, certainly. I'd have to agree. Yeah. The conversations we have are just so wonderful. Catherine, was uh, one of your proudest moments when you got the Order of Australia? That was really unexpected and really quite amazing. How did uh, that happen? Look, I don't even know. They don't tell you. But somebody nominates you and then they do about two years of background checks and things, I believe. Wow. And then you get a letter from the governor. Well, so, so are you aiming for sainthood now? Oh, I don't know. It feels That's like it to me. To be. So it's it's quite an honour and it's quite a gong. But but do we call you uh, also Lady Doctor or I mean what what kind of reference mm. goes with the name? What well, moniker goes with? You just put it name? after your name, right? Um, do you know these sort of things? In some ways, they don't change your life at all. Mm. Um, yeah, nothing changes. Yeah, right. Nothing really changes. But it has helped in a way because it gives you that credibility that mm. people must, people then look at you slightly differently and go, ah, okay, this person has worked hard and achieved some things that are above and beyond what's just in their paid role. Mm. Well, you, you certainly have done that, and it sounds like your whole family has, done, has given great service to the community, which well, is amazing. I, I don't really see it as me doing all of that. Hmm. What, what has been the absolute joy for me is all the different people coming in and saying, I can help with that bit. I'm great at graphic design, so I can do that. Someone who's been helping us enormously recently has just picked up our website and fixed it up and put so much time into that. 
people who help us run our events. You know, everybody brings their expertise to the table. And if you've got a really open mind and you just say, everyone's welcome to come and help the best way they can, you build something amazing. Teamwork, huh? Teamwork's the thing, you know, and it's such a joyful thing. So if people want to get involved in the Hush Foundation, what do they do, Catherine? How can we help or get it out to our listeners? Possibly the easiest thing is to go onto our website, which is hush.org.au. Yep. And we've also got the gatheringofkindness.org website, but they're sort of linked. You'll find us through either of those. And um, we just love people getting involved. We'd love to come and do our plays in more hospitals or organisations. We've got all this amazing library of music. Um, Orchestras can even get the sheet music for any of this incredible music that's been written and they can play it themselves. So, Catherine, we, we always finish our FOWER uh, uh, interviews with a favourite song, and I don't know if I asked you that or not, or, or if you sent mm. that through. Do you... Yeah, I sent you an idea, which is The Dance of the Paper Umbrellas by Elena Katz-Chernan. And is there a reason, for, a specific reason, or you just love that piece? I love that piece, but it's very special to me. So Elena is one of the um, most prolific, beautiful composers. She is indeed. Australia has and she's a most generous beautiful wonderful person and Elena came into the children's hospital and talked with me and with the families and wrote this piece for the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra to play and when you hear it it's just so beautiful and uplifting and optimistic and it encapsulates what we're trying to achieve in Hush in the way of improving the environment for everybody and just making hard times that little bit easier, whether you're a patient or family members or somebody at home who's really stressed or whether you're a stressed healthcare worker. I mean, you can't help but feel good and uplifted and optimistic when you hear this piece. Catherine, thank you so much for giving us the time today. We know how busy you are um, and we feel both probably feel privileged that you've taken the time um, to to pop on Float Your Boat and hopefully our listeners... Thanks for listening because, yeah, I do love telling our story. Well, uh, let's hope it you know, we get it out there to lots of people and Mm. they, um, they, you know, get some value out of it. I'm sure they will. Terrific work, Catherine. Oh, look, thank you. It's really lovely talking to you both. Thank you very much. Thanks, Catherine. Take care Bye. and uh, and we'll speak again soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Catherine. Bye. Bye.